I feel like we're in this season of outpouring. And uh, really, like God is doing something that is such a setup for change and, uh, you know, he's equipping us, he's preparing us, and he's filling us to overflowing. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you pour your pour into us that living water that will pour out of us wherever we go in Jesus' name. And so I'm, I'm following, uh, you know, in my mind, I've got these five statements the Lord made to, uh, to me in early in the year in, in response to my cries, uh, awake, arise, count it, all joy. And I feel like, you know, we can, we can stick with count it all joy for quite a long time, but I really, I, I want to focus today on the, the fourth statement, no eye has seen. You know, the fifth statement is that God's eyes are running, you know, he's always looking for people whose hearts are perfect toward him that, so he can partner with us and, and do great things with us and for us and through us, but this is the way God works. You know, what, what happens isn't what we would logically expect. You know, if we're only applying human logic because we, we remain in this kind of relationship with God where what he does is always good, but it's not always what we expect. In fact, it's rarely what we expect. So we'll... we'll um, work on that today, that, that, because what he does, we haven't seen before. So that's, that's really good. You know, we're not trying to be a repeat of something else that's been done, but we're encouraged by what he's done because this is the way he works. But when he breaks through in your life and my life, it's usually unique and it wasn't exactly the way we thought it would happen. <laughs> Have you noticed that already? So um, I'll start with this statement. I, I want to salt the oats, so to speak, um, that at the end of the service, I want us to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so I, I want to start with um, the story of the woman at the well, the S Samaritan woman. And, you know, she, first of all, Jesus took his disciples through Samaria because, and they didn't want to go because the, the Jewish people had a, a hostility and it was mutual <laughs> toward the Samaritans, the Samaritans toward them and and there, that goes way back into hundreds of years of history. But, so, but Jesus was on an assignment, and so he said, now we're going to go this way. And so he stops at this well outside the city of Samaria, um, the, which is called Jacob's Well, and sends, uh, sends his disciples into town to get some food. Kosher food, no doubt. But I, that's kind of a joke, because I'm not sure if the Samaritans kept kosher or not, but the, uh, but while he's there, this woman comes out to the well. It's the wrong time of the day to come out to the well, and she's a hot mess. 
you know, she's just like, she's coming to the well because she's an outcast. You know, the other people didn't like her and she didn't like them. And uh, so she comes to the well and she's probably surprised to see Jesus sitting there. And so she's going to draw water and take it back into her house. And, and he says, give me a drink. And this is a big shock to her. She said, sir, you know, you're a Jew and why would... The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, and it's not proper for you to speak to me. I'm a woman, you're a man. And so there's all these barriers that he just crossed and that she doesn't think, she wasn't expecting it. (laughs) So she just went that day like any other day, you know. But um, And then, so Jesus responds to her and says, well, if you knew, this is John 4.10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't have anything to draw with. This is a deep well. What are you talking about? Where are you getting this water? And, uh, and then Jesus says to her, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then she goes, oh, okay, I want that because I don't want to have to come out here to this hot well with this heavy water jug on my head and all this stuff. And so, but he's got her, he's got her. And then he says, okay, I'll tell you, but go get your husband and, and bring him back. Of course, this touches on a very personal issue for her. Has you ever noticed that God messes with us? Like, he's like, eh, we'll just talk about this, you know? And sometimes we are in conversations or you're in a conversation with someone and you're just talking along and for some unknown reason to you, you say something and the person is like, <gasps> you know, because that's how the Holy Spirit leads us sometimes, you know? So she says, well, I don't, you know, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five husbands. The man you're living with now is not your husband. And she's like, sir, you're a prophet. And so there's all kinds of questions about that. Was, was he someone else's husband? Was, you know, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. But she was a mess. You know, she was, not, she was not loved and highly esteemed in her village. But here's what happens to her. She's going to get a drink of water. And so anyway, and, and it's not going to be physical water. It's going to be spiritual water. She is so undone, because as, as this goes on, she realizes that what he's saying is true, that what he's telling her about God is true. And she runs back into town, and she says, I just met a man who told me everything about my life. And the whole village, they're shocked, because here's this woman that, you know, was normally hung her head and didn't make eye contact, and she is telling everybody all this stuff. So they go out to see it. And after Jesus talks to them, they said, now we believe not because of what she said, but we've seen you. Now, do you know this was a setup and, and this was going to change not, it was gonna change Samaria because there would later be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Samaria. It's recorded in, in Acts chapter eight and the, this is the preparation. And, and so the Holy Spirit was poured out on the city. Many were delivered and healed and there, it, it tells us there was great joy in the city of Samaria instead of, you know, all the issues and attitudes and 
baggage that people had. There was, now this city was characterized by joy. What's amazing is this hot mess who became the first evangelist to Samaria, you know, she brought, brought the good news, um, became a believer, was baptized, and when she was baptized, it was, as is the, the practice of the ancient church, she took a new name. And the name she chose was Fotini, which means, you know, it's translated from, it's a Greek word that means that she has received light. You know, she's now filled with light. This woman whose life was such a mess is now, she, she's called Fotini. Well, evidently she got married and she had a number of children. I think she had four sons and, and a number of daughters. And her children and she became an amazing minister of the gospel. Her children became missionaries and, you know, they, with professions, but they, wherever they went, they had an impact. And toward the end of her life, she joined one of her sons in Rome. And there, like her children were martyred because of the impact they were having. And, they were, and the empire did not like it. And the, this is tradition but you know these these were oral cultures like people just didn't make up wild stories and say whatever they wanted because there were eyewitnesses around so the story of her death was passed down for generations and this the story is that after her one her son that she'd come to live with was martyred by by Nero's orders he he would become a high ranking officer in the Roman army that Nero met with her personally, face-to-face, and challenged her to, to denounce Jesus or he was gonna kill her. And she is, is talking to him, and she said, I could never deny the one who has saved my life and given me such a great life. And so Nero does, the, you know, the meanest thing he can do She's standing with her back to a dry well. He pushes her. She falls down into the dry well, and Nero sent her to heaven. <laughs> and so her, her, I mean, so she is, her life is celebrated by, by the Orthodox Church as St. Fotini. There's a, an annual saint day on a, on a Sunday that comes um, in the spring, and and she is called Saint Fotini, the first apostle to the Samaritans, equal with the twelve. <laughs> this starts with a drink. So um, now later, this. So when we have an encounter with Jesus, it doesn't just make us feel good at the moment. It changes us forever. So Jesus later, uh, toward in the last year of his earthly life, you know, his incarnation as Jesus, uh, son of Mary, you know, Jesus of Nazareth. But the uh, Jesus stands up. This is in in uh, John chapter seven on the last day, the great day of the feast as this ceremonial golden pitcher of water is being brought up from the well of Siloam and taken up this great stairway to the temple where it's gonna be poured out. Um, it's the high point of the festival and Jesus stands up in the middle of all this and shouts out with a loud voice, is anyone thirsty? 
And then he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And, and out of your innermost being, your belly, your heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now, he had told the woman at the well, who became St. Fratini, he told her that anyone who takes a drink, that, a, that that drink would turn into a spring of living waters. Now, the thing about a drink, now, if I were to drink this cup, it's got water in it. I won't drink it because I'm not thirsty right at the moment because I've already had the drink of eternal, no, I'm just not thirsty, okay. <laughs> but the, uh, so but it, I could drink this and then it would be empty and then I could get thirsty again. But if there was a spring installed in me that was like an artesian well that was always flowing and overflowing, I would never thirst again. And thirst, you know, thirst is an uncomfortable experience. Like if you're really thirsty, it's not, most people don't like it, you know. Most people go, oh, how are you doing? Great, I'm just dying of thirst. When I was about, I guess I was probably about 19 or 20, I, I came home from college and I had, hadn't arranged a job for the summer, which was pretty important and was good planning, Charles. So anyway, I found out, hey, there, you know, there's this guy, they're, doing, they're, they're thinning trees out in the forest and you could probably get a job out there. So I, I showed up at 5 a.m. and got picked up with all the other guys that were going out there. Most of them were, were uh, undocumented uh, people. They were Indians from the mountains of Jalisco State, Mexico. Spanish was their second language. <laughs> They didn't speak proper Spanish, you know. And so, so I'm in this pickup truck. We go out the woods, and the guy, the guy says, what are you doing here? I said, well, I want a job. He says, I already have everybody I need. And he says, I said, well, can I just at least go out and look around? He goes, oh, okay. So I sit in the truck with him. And so when you get out there in the woods, this is a good thing about being persistent. He goes, well, I got this extra chainsaw in the back in case one of them breaks down. He says, here. And he gives me the chainsaw. And he gives me a, a gallon jug with mixed gas and oil in it. And he says, you can work here, you know, cut, leave one tree every 20 feet or 30 feet. I forget what it was. And he drove away. And it was a hot day. And it was, it was a drought season. And the dust on this dirt road was, was like this thick. You know, you'd step in, it'd be like powder and so I'm working in the sun with this chainsaw with, I don't even know if I'm gonna get paid, and it's hot and dry, and about every 15 or 20 minutes, a logging truck comes by, loaded with logs, and this big, huge cloud of powder-dry dust just you know, covers me and fills my mouth and my nose, and after a few hours, I'm like, <laughs> they didn't leave me any water. Maybe he figured I'd be dead or I would just, here, take your chainsaw, I'm getting out of here, you know. But so finally, and I mean, I was so thirsty. This is true. I was so thirsty and, you know, I was young and I was healthy. I was in good shape. But I got so thirsty that I was actually trying to figure out if I could rinse my mouth out with this gas and oil in the jug and if that would improve or make me worse. 
thank God I wasn't saved, but someone must have been praying for me because I knew better. Like it was, but that's how thirsty I was. It was totally tempting. Finally, I don't faint. And, you know, about 3.30, this pickup truck pulls up and all these guys are in the back and they're all tired and worn out because they've been working all day out in the sun too. But they had water jugs. So I said, do you have any water? And they go, well, you know. So they're looking around. All their water was empty, but there was this one jug that had a little water in it. It was an old plastic, you know, Clorox bleach bottle, but it had water in it a little bit. And I thought, yeah, that, that's okay. So I take it and I, and I drink this warm water, the exact temperature of I won't say what, but I drink it. <laughs> <laughs> warm bodily fluids and it um, and it has a lot of bleach in it you know like, like but at least you could drink it without dying but the rest of the way it took about a half hour 45 minutes to get back into town I was burping up like Clorox burps you know so finally it, we get dropped off and, uh, and I went with a friend. We walked to this root beer stand. If any of you are old enough to remember root beer stands. <laughs> and I ordered something cold and wet that I could drink, you know, and, and drank it. And, and you know what? The guy gave me the job. But, okay, this is, I'm just, <laughs> I know what, like, intense thirst is at, you know, other, other times as well where you're out someplace working and you have nothing to drink. And Jesus said, makes this statement And he's not talking about physical thirst. He's talking about this sense that there's something I need in my life and I don't know where to find it. And I feel like if I don't find it, I'm gonna just end it. And so he's saying, if you're thirsty, come and drink. And in fact, the invitation is to keep coming and keep drinking. Okay, so... I think that today the Holy Spirit is going to open up fountains of living water. And if you're thirsty, you're going, to be, you're going to be filled, but you're going to receive something that's a gift from God that will keep flowing and keep flowing. And even like St. Fatini's life was changed, and many of us have been changed by this encounter with, with the Holy Spirit There is something that God is doing in this season that is preparation to to go and change the world. So you may have shown up here like a hot mess and you're just thinking like, I don't know if God. And do you understand like God may have a plan for you and today is the day that you encounter that plan and experience the, the necessary infilling of the Holy Spirit that you would receive power from on high so that your life, instead of being a mess, would be a testimony to the, the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ in this world. And it's something you don't have to do. It's flowing out of you. Okay. Holy Spirit, come and help me not to get in the way. All right. <laughs> or get washed away by a tidal wave, right? Okay. So, but I want to, we'll just set this up with some understanding. A lot of, you know, a lot of people, especially in our culture, it's a very 
narcissistic culture, whether we realize it or not, it's therapeutic, it's all about you. You know, what's your purpose? What, what wounds do you have that are keeping you from your purpose? What bad thing has happened to you that we need to heal you from? And I, I don't say that with, with disdain at all. It, you know, this is the culture we live in. It's the message that's received, the bad things are happening to you, so now we have, to, we have to fix you up so you can function. But, and thank, I thank God for everyone involved in that kind of work and ministry, it's very important. But what if Saint Fotini, when she was a hot mess, did not actually get a lot of therapy, she got an encounter with the infinite, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient Holy Spirit who transformed her life in such a way that without that, this whole new dimension started flowing. So Holy Spirit, we need some shortcuts here because we don't have enough, <laughs> enough resources to get everybody patched up in time for what you're about to do. So, Holy Spirit, would you come today and would you encounter us? Would you deliver us from false identities and, and you know, an obsession with what has happened to us and release us into the overflow of what you do in our life? In Jesus' name. All right. So, here's some good things to know. The first point, God reverse engineers our life. Like, he actually... Like, we may be wondering, what's my purpose? I need to find my purpose so I can fulfill it. And I want you to know God has a purpose for you, and you can't miss it. It's actually his purpose, not my purpose or your purpose. And he reverse engineers our life to bring us to that point. Romans eight twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he his son might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. Now, this is an amazing little passage here of two verses, Romans 8, 29 and 30, and it tells us that God foreknew us, that God predestined us, that God called us, that he justified us, all those things that are on the slide there, he did. And what's so amazing is, it says that he glorified us already. He, he uses the past tense. How can he do that? Because he dwells in eternity and he knows what we will be in time and to him it's a present reality. So when you come to him or when, when Fotini would come to him, he didn't think like, oh, well, boy, she has a lot of problems. No, it was like my daughter, my treasure, my jewel. And when you come to him, he has the exact thing. He's not thinking about all the stuff you did wrong in the past or what your reputation may have been. He is now living in a present and future vision for your life that what he has called you to, you will fulfill and you're justified, you're standing before him clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and when you pray and when he talks to you, he's not treating you like your brothers and sisters and family and neighbors who don't like you or understand you might treat you. He's looking at you and hearing you like it's Jesus Christ speaking. That's what justified means, I mean, in its full dimensions. 
Isn't that wild? So that means you may think, you may think you're not qualified, but God wants you to know this, that you're forgiven, and when you're forgiven and you're cleansed, you're qualified to ask him. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and you're, anyway, and not only that, <laughs> the, you know, that I, I wanna go into this, this statement here because it's kind of a mysterious word. He's predestined us. What does that mean? Does that mean God knows what you're going to eat for breakfast on Thursday morning? I think he does know it, but I don't think he's determined it. I think, he, you know, that he, our desires guide us as we go through the life we've been given, and we'll be accountable for the desires that, that drive our decisions. But in terms of the broad horizons, that's what this word predestined means. It doesn't mean, it doesn't deal with every single detail although he knows every detail, but it's our choice, you know, because he already knows the end from the beginning. But so it, it, the word is, it, the Greek word is prohorizo, and, and it's like, well, what does that mean unless you speak Greek, and I don't even know if I pronounced it properly if you're a modern Greek speaker, but, it, but it's pro, it means like before, like prologue or, you know, I, that's the only word that's coming to me at the moment, but... <laughs> But the second part is where we get our term horizon. So it has to do with he set the limits of our life ahead of time. This one's birth, this one's death. The dash in between is the life that we steward and we will be accountable for the choices we make. But within that, there's a lot of peace that we know that, we're, that our life was predestined. It means we are born at the right time to the right parents in the right country and all those other things that people get in identity crisis over. Like, I, you know, you might wish, oh, I wish I'd been born in the 15th century for some reason, some impression you have that you would have really been a thriving human being in that century. But the, these are our imaginations, but the reality is God, you were born at the right time. And do you understand, let's just taking the woman at the well, she was born in the right time. She was born to the right family. She could have said, oh, I wish I could have been born as a Jew and not a Samaritan. And then she, you know, but in reality, everything in her life was a setup that she would fulfill this glorious purpose for her life and that she and her children would change a city and then nations. Amazing. And she would stand in the face of the most powerful man on earth and while well, he threatened her and, give, and she gave glory to God. Amazing. So, how much more you in this day, I mean, you were all, every one of us has been chosen by him in some unique way. He came to us, brought us into himself. And so we were, we were predestined to be conformed the image of his son. And it, I mean, how can that be? Like, God, that, that his son is the perfect image. I mean, as much as a human being can image the infinite, eternal, invisible God, Jesus Christ was the perfect image of the Father. And, but what this says is that we're on a track, and this is the purpose for our life, that we become more and more and more and more and more like him. Until maybe to the casual observer, they would think, oh, 
He's just like Jesus, she's just like Jesus. Now, God knows the difference. <laughs> and usually we do too. But there, there, you know, as our life is conformed more and more to him because of the grace, because of this fountain of living water that's flowing out of you, that the people around you are not experiencing all your deficits, they're experiencing the overflow of God. Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us, fill us, fill us. So, and you know, I mean, there, there's all kinds of issues here, you know, like of mystery and paradox. And, and, and the, the reality is our brains cannot totally categorize and comprehend all the ways that God works. And we used, I used to say this, and it was probably a cliche. I think it originally came from John Wimber, but... The, uh, the statement is, if God was small enough for our brains, he wouldn't be big enough for our problems. You know, it's like, it's like he's always, as much as we think we know about him and know him, which is awesome, there's more. There's always more. Okay. Amen. So, but here, the, now, the good thing is that, that in everything that happens, it's not just we're just not lone rangers, but all together, he's building us into something. And so none of our lives aren't mistakes. None of us are like spare parts. He knows what he needs. And Ephesians 2.22 says that in him, in Jesus, we, we plural, it's, it, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, you, but it was plural, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit. So this is the good news. Like it does, it's God free us from an obsession with ourselves. Do you know why, do you know why people hurt our feelings and why, you know, bad things happen to us and stuff? I mean, the, the impetus behind that is that the enemy wants to get your eyes off of how good God is and onto how wounded and messed up we are. And so, isn't it possible that God is really good? And one of the testimonies of his goodness is that our woundedness doesn't stop him from using us. Come on. You know, and so, it, and it's this kind of thing like, you know, if if we're always looking at the counterfeit, we won't recognize it. But if we're always looking at the real thing, we'll begin to realize, oh, all this stuff, they're all lies. They're just lies. We're just lies. And, and without even knowing it, he's delivering us from false identities and, and lies that we've, they're called strongholds. You know, they're, they're being dismantled by the truth. And we behold him in encounters. We behold him as we study the word of God, which is like this pure water, this pure milk that, that makes, that helps us grow. Okay, I better hurry up. <laughs> so, so God knows what he's doing. He's got it, you know, he reverse engineers our life. And then how do we deal with the traumatizing things that happen that scar us. Well, here's the thing about scars. Every scar re represents something bad that has healed. Now, it may not have healed perfectly, you know, so you might look at the scar and just think, ah, oh, that's ugly. And I love it when God dissolves scars. 
You know, like he does. It, we've seen this happen many times. It just, he'll spontaneously, like someone will have scars and they'll go look and the scar's gone. But while that scar's there, it's a trophy of God's grace because it represents a time when you might have died, you might have quit, and you kept going. Come on. You know, this is the, this is like Paul talks about this. Our, so our scars are trophies of grace. They represent times when we, we should have quit if it was just in our own strength, but the grace of God keeps us. So Lord, we just, I mean, we reframe these traumas in our lives like, God, you're greater than. You're greater than. You're greater than. And we're not in denial. We're just like in grace. Like, God, <laughs> you know, and those scars become like, they're battle scars, you know, and, and you scare the devil by the scars you carry. Because they're all like, yeah, you tried to take them out there. You tried to take them out there. You tried to take them out there. And, and he starts thinking like, maybe I should give up on that one. <laughs> I'll work on some new, new, uh, new ones. But it's like, it's, these are like trophies that we have. You know, they're like battle ribbons of battles we've survived. And I'm telling you this, like all of those things that have happened, they actually, the fact that you love Jesus, that you get happy in his presence, that you're still worshiping him, it, it's just they're actually increasing your authority in the spirit. So God, thank you that what, what the devil did, what man tried to do, it's like Joseph told his brethren, he said, well, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Come on, so just, and so Paul would talk about this, you know, he would, he would talk about this, he wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the Father of mercies, he actually, I mean, he has compassion on us. It's not like he's hard-hearted and, and he's like, doesn't have any feelings, he feels what we feel even more deeply. But he's also the God of all comfort. And the word comfort there actually means one who gives strength, one who comes alongside and gets us back in the game. And he comforts us, gives us strength in all our afflictions. Come on. You know, so that, that for some of us, that's a lot. You know, he comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted it's a strengthening Jesus was our he said he said it's good for you that it's to your advantage that I go away because when I go I'll send another comforter of the same kind the, this is the same word it we sometimes people call the Holy Spirit the paraclete but it's kind of a church word because it sounds like parakeet and it might be confusing to people but but this is like it's a special term it's what God does and it's what Jesus did, and it's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. So he's comforting us. He's giving, he's bringing us back to strength. Any of you need that? Like you say, man, I just got the wind knocked out of me. I just feel, ever since that happened, I just, I'm kind of discouraged. I'm telling you, what you need is the comforter to come in and fill you with strength. And, and the Holy Spirit is the living water that we drink. All right, so... Uh, every battle we go through increases our power. Blessed 
are those. This is Psalm 84. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are highways to Zion. There's people, you can always, I mean, I noticed this as a brand new Christian. There would be people, they would have, they'd meet Jesus, they'd think everything was gonna be great, then bad things would happen, and there'd be two responses. Some people would get mad at God and walk away, and other people, that it, they would just fall on their face and say, God, I need you more than ever. And the ones who would fall on their face and go toward God stuck with him. By, by some I, you know, grace of God, that was always my response and Anne's response. Every, you know, because we were dumb and stupid. We made lots of mistakes. And I, you know, because, you know, I spent 21 years being a heathen and now I'm suddenly a Christian. So not everything I do is good, even though I think it's good. And then, you know, there would be consequences. And every time we'd fall on our face and cry out to God and his goodness would increase on our lives. And I was so shocked. I remember I, I had a class at a community college with this guy, and I knew he was a Christian. Oh, man, praise the Lord. And, you know, we started talking about going through rough stuff, and, and I said, yeah, whenever I go through rough stuff, it just makes me press in, and I just worship and cry out to God. And he said, really? He said, man, every time something bad happens to me, I get mad at God. And I, like, take a vacation, and maybe after a while I come back and try it again. And, and I was shocked. And, but I wasn't, I mean, the outcome of that was that this, this brother eventually fell away. And so, God, we just want us to be healed of self-pity, yeah. healed of judgments against you. God, that you've canceled all judgments against us, and we dive into your love so that these highways to Zion are in our heart, that it brings us back again and again. And then this amazing thing happens, it says, that Psalm 84, verse six, as they go through the valley of Baca, which means weeping, they make it a place of springs. And the early rains cover it with pools, or it literally blessings, and they go from strength to strength. So every time we go through one of those valleys of weeping and we come and we find the presence of the Lord and we find comfort in it, we're making a way for others to go through that same thing with blessings and and what is, would be a desert place when we get there will become a place of pools and blessings for other. And this is how God takes us from strength to strength. And as Bishop Joseph Garlington has said, I used to hear him preach this regularly. He'd say, there, you know, there's strength and then there's strength, but in between is highway two, strength to strength. And he says, that's a long and winding road. And many people have died on highway two. Don't die in between, you know. It's like God is taking you from strength to strength, but it's, it's not always pleasant in between. So I just wanna say that to you if you're going through a particularly hard time. Now, this is why we rejoice in our tribulations because we know they're producing something. And some people said it's hell in the hallway. You know, Don't get stuck in the bad part. <laughs> He's taking you from strength to strength, but in between it could be challenging. But you know what? All those challenges are preparing you to step into that place of greater blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, my last point before we get, we all get a drink of the Holy Spirit is that time is on our side. You know, like, like if you actually stay with the Lord through all those, you know, through thick and thin, it's always working in your favor. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah wrote to the cap, those who were captive in Babylon, they had totally blown their life, and for generations, you know, of, of sin, and now they're, they've lost their nation, they've lost their temple, they're, they're captives in Babylon, and he writes to them, and he says, I know the thoughts I have to you, says the Lord. They're thoughts to comfort you, or thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you. Thoughts, that I'm, my plans are to give you a future and a hope. And then he, and he goes on and he says, and, you, and then you will call to me and I will answer you when you seek me with all your heart. So he said, look, you're in a process, don't give up hope. My plans for you are all good. And, and in, at the end of that 70 years of captivity, uh, many returned and rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. Everything that, Jeremiah said was true, and it's still true for you. That, and, but time is on our side, so sometimes we're in a place where we think like, man, I should have been at some other place by now. And maybe that's true in a, in a natural sense, but I want you to know that God has never given up on you, and his plans for you are eternal, and he knows the end from the beginning, and he's reverse engineered your life. So in a sense, it can never be too late. Because his purpose is that you be conformed to his image. So, but how does this happen? I mean, the fuel for it and the time where, I, I just feel like the fuel for it is a massive and continual encounter with the Holy Spirit. So why don't you stand up and we'll just, and this actually is the setup that brings us into the place where we know we love God and we can stand on this promise that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So I wonder, there are many contingencies, you know, God gives us this capacity to reason and choose and we follow our desires and we will give an account for the desires that we we followed <laughs> and uh and we you know that's that's our that's our accountability at the end of this life when we stand before him and we're rewarded for how we lived but in the meantime it's like none of us could make the right choice by our own internal goodness. But with the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us, our desire is to please him. And so Jesus, knowing that, you know, he, on this John chapter 7, the setting is it's one of the great feasts. And there, it's the high point of the feast. They're bringing this golden pitcher of water up and everyone's there, and it's the greatest time. And even in the midst of that great celebration, he knew there were people that were saying, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Like, man, we came all this way. We spent all this money. We're here, and I'm just not getting it. And so he stands up, and he cries out. He disrupts the whole protocol, and he says, is anyone thirsty? If you feel that, need that thirst, that longing, then come to me. Totally out of protocol, right? And drink. 
And what he says, if you come to me, and I love the New American Center says, and keep coming, and drink, and the, the margin again says, and keep drinking, then out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Out of your heart, out of your belly, some translations translate it. It's like he is saying that that drink you take from me, and you keep drinking, it, now it, it will be more than a spring, it'll become rivers. And they'll flow and it's new and it's, and this is the, the invitation we have to live. And then it says in the next verse, he was talking about the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given, but now the Holy Spirit has been given. So when we're thirsty, the, the living water that we want to drink is the Holy Spirit. And the drink that we take can change cities, nations, it will definitely change us, our family, our business, our sphere of influence, our ministries. We, you know, we live in a time where people are all upset and they want everything to change. Well, <laughs> there's a reason <laughs> that everyone's upset and wants things to change, but the, if we try to do it in our own strength, all we're gonna do is offend each other and the people around us. But if we come to him and keep coming and we drink of him and keep drinking, there's something purifying and life-giving that will flow out of us and influence everything around us. So if you're thirsty, I just want you to raise your hands. Holy Spirit, see our thirst. We love you so much and we want you to come and fill us. Fill us with your goodness. Fill us with your presence. Holy Spirit, come and quench this thirst and flow and multiply through our lives. We cry out, cry out. Could you just cry out and say, Holy Spirit, I am thirsty. I, I am coming to drink. Fill me. Fill me and keep me filled. Keep me coming to you. Keep me drinking of these pure waters of life. With you is the fountain of life. Place that fountain inside me. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fill us, fill us, fill us. So, Chandi has something he wants to share. I just want to encourage you, if you're thirsty, you can come on up to the front even now. Thank you, Lord. This is such a beautiful invitation and encouragement. You know, in the story of this woman at the well, it was not only predicated by her thirst, it was a predestined moment for her. Because this, the, the context of the story is that it was, a, it was a land that Jacob had bought as an inheritance for his son Joseph. And it says Jesus came to Jacob's well, and that's where the story unfolds. But the amazing thing about Jacob's well is that Jacob's well is not mentioned in the very story of Jacob in scriptures. And Jacob's well is not mentioned anywhere else in scriptures other than this moment. What Jacob did in that land was to build an altar. And over the years, there was, a, there was a well, and this well's importance came 
Centuries later, at a predestined moment in time, when Jesus met this Samaritan woman who would then be the gateway for the gospel to regions that it hadn't gone before. Thank you, Lord. So we are thirsty, but this invitation goes beyond the thirst. It's not predicated only by our thirst. It's a predestined moment. I remember in 94, 95, when Charles came to the edge of the stage and cried out the same invitation is anyone thirsty and it began to define who we are centuries later this encounter that gave definition to jacob's well we are in such a predestined season as a church thank you lord so the invitation is for all of us to participate in this sovereign divine predestined moment and jesus says this water that i give you will become fountains many of us having have been kept alive by the water of god but he doesn't want to leave us there he wants to convert that water into fountains that we become sources with him for life for many like this woman became saint fotini thank you lord so come on up if there are others not just because of thirst, but I want to participate in this predestined moment as a church. Hallelujah. Woo. So we're just going to pray. Thank you. You've come up. You're thirsty. I know some of you, you might have to leave. You're welcome to leave. We bless you. And, and, but if you want to stay, you can stay. We're, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill everyone who's thirsty? everyone who's thirsty would you fill all the people online that are watching online that the holy spirit would fill you fill you fill you and that there would be an overflow from your life god that we're ones who want to we're thirsty we're coming to you and we're going to keep coming we're drinking from you just fill us fill us fill us fill us and the holy spirit is filling you there'll be people that that are pray for you but you actually you don't have to have someone pray for you for this to happen holy spirit fill fill the empty places fill the thirsty places fill the places that are longing for you longing for eternal life longing for this uncreated flow that of fullness that touches everyone around us that touches our neighborhood and our city Fill us, Holy Spirit, with this uncreated well of life that the rivers of Eden would flow out of our bellies, that, God, without even trying, we would water everything around us in Jesus' name.